Hello there, it's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast which offers objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, he's my favourite customer, is Anthony James. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. And joining us is a very special guest. He won't piss on hospitality. It's Emmett! <laughs> uh, if I don't get three square meals a day, you're only getting two stars on TripAdvisor. That's all I'm saying. I need three <laughs> solid meals. An excellent response. And we're off, folks. We're off. Um, so, so, this is... Uh, yeah, so that, for those of you who don't know, Emmett is a uh, regular... Um, Guest, I guess. Contr- I don't know. If contributor, like, con- contributor, contributor. Yes. Let's say contributor. contributor. It sounds a bit more. It sounds a bit more or respectful. Spelunker in the okay. cave, as Emma would like yes. to say. Okay, yes. sure. I don't understand that reference, and I'll not. I'll not dig deeper into it. Uh, I don't pay attention to what you guys get up to on the channel. I just, <laughs> I just kind of watch from afar. But, uh, but yeah. So this is this is the first kind of one of these we're doing where there are going to be three of us um, on the podcast. Um, so it sh- it'll have a different energy, I'm sure. Oh yes. <laughs> But a competent one, nonetheless. Um, But uh, yes, chaos. Yes. Um, So, uh, for those of you who missed last week's episode, or perhaps you are new to the show, um, we told everyone last week that this week we were going to be doing um, a classic subject, which is movies so bad that they are good. And Emmett, um, I've been told, is an expert on these kinds of movies. (laughs) So, uh, so he's joined us. Yes, exactly. You know, again, I've made several so bad they're good movies through my career. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to make good movies in general. Yeah. Once I figured that out, I'll get back to you. But, <laughs> that's, uh, the, that's the natural ascent. You know, you look at yeah. the careers of your Tommy Rousseau's and, mm. and, and the like, and, and he's, you know, banging out movies that are, you know, widely considered to be classics now because he found that competency. So it's a, it's a yeah. natural progression. <laughs> and Tommy Wiseau, as you can see in the background here, Tommy Wiseau is my idol. So uh, he is the man yeah. I try to emulate uh, in life as much as possible. Uh, I need to get his accent down, but uh, once I figured that out, um, once anyone's figured out his accent, you know, get back to me because uh, yeah, that, like fig- yeah. figure out his accent, uh, invest heavily in leather jackets, and uh, and then sort of discover a a fortune of. Um, of questionable origin, and you're basically yes. halfway to being Tommy Wiseau. Well, that's um, that's that's actually the the funny thing about Tommy Wiseau, which I'm sure we'll get into a lot. We could do a whole <laughs> podcast just on that man's <laughs> life, because where is he from? Maybe we think yeah. we know, we don't really know. It's really really crazy uh, the story of Tommy Wiseau to begin with, and then you add in all the extra stuff they put into the disaster artist film about him, which he wasn't too happy about. Let's just say, uh, and we got a strange potion that is Tommy Wiseau, very mental. Yeah, well, like he's. Uh, there is something to be said. And listen, if you're sitting there thinking, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Which in this case, <laughs> I mean, of course, movie discussion. We'll get there in a second, all right? We're doing a preamble. Bear with us. Um, there, there is something to be said for the kind of. The, the sort of heady concoction of self confidence and utter incompetency that defines a lot of the creators of the movies we're going to talk about today. And obviously Tommy Wiseau is a, is a, or Wiseau, I never know how to pronounce it, is a, uh, is a classic example, but there will be others. Um, and, and hopefully by the end of, by the end of this, this episode, we will have, uh, we will have delved deep into the pool of movies so terrible that they actually go full circle and become good. Um, before we do that, 
um, boring stuff to get out of the way, please uh, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. We are The Culture Cave on YouTube, and we are the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps, if that is your preferred method of consumption. Um, get involved in the comments. Let us know what movies you love, despite them being objectively terrible. Give the show a like. Uh, but otherwise, I say it's time to talk about some gosh darn terrible movies. Let's I'm do so it. ready for it. I feel it in my bones. I'm just. It's ready running to get like clockwork. This. It's a well old machine, folks. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. This is a this is one of my favorite topics of all time. Uh, like I, I I did a film degree and, and stuff like that, and it's funny how if you get people together who love films, how often it devolves from talking about really great films that you absolutely love and very quickly swings into the terrible films and why mm-hmm. you still love them. It's it's such a quick turn, and then you end up talking about the terrible films more somehow, because <laughs> there's something, there's some, like, grain deep down within them that is truly fascinating, because you're, you're learning how to, like, make a film and what you shouldn't do, and these films sort of explain that to you in ways that a teacher almost never could. Well, I def- I, de- I definitely could couldn't. But I'm gonna. Well, what yeah. I will say to you, Emmett, is that the word is intangible. As a math teacher, that's Ooh. the word intangible. Th- something about these people, um, Conrad. You didn't say you cut your catchphrase. Uh, what did I miss out? Movies. Oh well, yeah. No, I, I was I was I was waiting for a pause because then we can Sorry, cut it in the edit and then we can <laughs> go to the beginning. But we're, go- we're going to go straight through. So here, yeah, we-, here, here we go. We're going straight through. Th- Three, two, one, I'm firing in movies. Um, so, um, as I said, we're going to run like clockwork here. It's like absolutely like seamless. I'm sure you're sitting there at home thinking, it's like these three have known each other their entire lives. Um, well, I will so, say, before you go on there, let me just say, I've known both of you a very long time. I'm the glue. I'm the, I'm, the glue. I'm the glue here. And I do want to I just want to say, Conrad and I sometimes look back at our like first couple of podcasts we did, and it was, we look back at it thinking, can't believe how far we've come. I can't wait to look back on this first triple in a podcast. Look back on this in a few years' time and think, can't believe how far we've come. Yeah, this will be this will be the low water mark for uh, for our relationship. <laughs> but you won't know that until you know it's 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 it'll only look bad in retrospect. Yeah. So you know we've got that to look forward to. But anyway, here we go. We're going to talk about some movies so yeah. bad that they're good. I, I haven't really got any particular order for these, um, but I thought as our honoured guest. Um, it it's only fitting that that Emmett take the reins and be allowed to introduce a movie of his choosing for um for the first movie for us to talk about. So Emmett, I'm gonna I'm gonna yield the floor to you. Feel free to fire away with whichever movie you'd like to start to start discussions with. I feel like the most natural one for us to go into at the moment, uh, Conrad, is probably the room, considering that we've already had a little bit of talk about it. Yeah, and okay. uh, the wonderful man behind it. And uh, it is probably one of my favorite so bad they're good movies. And sure. I feel like there's just so much to talk about on that one. Seem good to you guys? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. Well, okay, so I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna like just briefly uh, interject something here, just because I, I want to get a preamble out of the way. So the room mm-hmm. came out in 2003. When did you guys first see the room? Oh, that's a good okay. Question. I first I first saw the room. Whenever, probably around 2008, I would say, I think, 2008, 2009, I was aware of the buzz around the room. I know that it's it's turned into a bit like, it's very strange to say this, because I think the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a very well-made film. Having said that, it's turned into a little bit like the Rocky Horror Picture Show in that you would you go to screenings of it, and there's a whole yeah. loads of things that you do while you're there. So I'm not putting Rocky Horror Picture Show in the same 
places it. But I was a big Rocky Horror Picture Show fan as well, and I think maybe that's how I got onto the room. I can't okay. re- I can't remember who originally put me there. I think it was around 2008, 2009 for me uh, that the love affair started with me in the room. Um, it is the only real film that I've got to talk about today because it is my main uh, main one, what I think of when I think it's so so bad, it's good. It is sort of in vogue, isn't it, these days? How do you feel about that? Do you think, yeah. do you think we're sort of... Uh, we're, we're, we're not being hipster enough by talking about The Room here? <laughs> so I like the idea that we're all just uh, secret hipsters on this channel. Well, I mean, I, I, as a, as a, as a self-respecting hipster, when, oh, when, good. when the mainstream shifts towards my tastes, <laughs> I respond by shifting further into the, into the abyss. Yeah, so, he does. Like, he does. I, I've got some, I've got some more obscure movies to talk about here. Um, but so, Emmett, when did, when did you, um, when did you like first become aware of I, I think, watch it. I, I think I was a little bit later to the party than a few people. I think I was about 2012, 2013. Johnny come heard... lately to the to the <laughs> uh, no to the to the glory of the yeah. room. And like it was I had heard so much about it, but like um like I just never got round to actually sitting it down. And then I went over to like a friend's house and like we all sat down and watched it together. And it was just such a weird communal experience watching mm. this film unfold that, like, I I think I just, like, I got home and then tracked down another <laughs> online copy of uh, The Room to watch it again immediately afterwards because I was just like, there was so much to unpack. I was like, I need to watch this again. And yeah, now it's and sort I, of I, like, I, oh, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I think that's, that is kind of part of, not, not just of The Room, but of, of this kind of subgenre of movies in general. To mm-hmm. me, it's part of the magic of it is that experience of going around to someone's house and having them say, have you ever seen this movie? You need to sit down and watch it. Um, and for a lot of people, I think that was The Room. I think for me, it was probably um, another movie I'll talk about a little bit later that was an Italian horror movie. But the experience is, is kind of the same no matter which movie gets you into movies so bad mm-hmm. that they're good. Where you're sitting around with friends, everyone's having a great time you're probably drinking um and and it, it just becomes this kind of formative experience in your life where you realize that that sometimes utter incompetence can transform something into absolute magic and i, I think for a lot of people the room was their first or certainly of our generation the room was their first introduction to that see the thing is Definitely. the thing about the room is that i always say some people will come up to me and say you know so and so is the worst uh film of all time or so and so is the is the best so bad it's good the room for me stands the test of time because of the amount of money that was spent on it like oh, and we're going to talk about one that emmett uh, wants to argue later on but this one if you're talking about like just very straight like very small independent so bad they're good films the room i think it was six million dollars was was the uh the budget yeah, for it this. wasn't it wasn't cheap it was <laughs> yeah. not a cheap film like he paid he paid the rice to happy birthday who does that yeah and he's he's also like he financed it himself how who who as an individual just has six million that you're willing to blow he's very much like a kind of frank reynolds kind of financier (laughs) type character i think yeah yeah, yeah. he's just finding money in a kind of in in like a denim factory and stuff like that but he's 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 plowing into this and i mean it it, to be honest with the root like yes it did cost a lot of money and and i think this this seems like a decent place to start with this we'll we'll go we'll briefly outline the plot in a second but to be honest if you're here listening to us talking about these movies my (laughs) assumption is you've at least seen some of them yeah. um so we're not gonna spend too long outlining the plots or giving critical analysis um 
But one of the reasons the room was so goddamn expensive was because it was famously shot on both 35mm and digital because <laughs> Tommy Rousseau didn't know the difference. Which yeah. is... I my I feel all films should be shot this way. Where it's <laughs> yeah. just like, you know what? Some people are... Re- like me, I'm a, I'm a big film head. I love things to be shot on film. You can tell the difference. And then, but, but then, you know, there's an argument for digital as well because it means that more people have access to making films. So split the difference and shoot on both. Yes, it doubles the budget. And it's not helped by the fact that Tommy Rousseau bought the cameras rather than renting them like every other film production company in the world but yeah. you know what the end results speak for themselves yeah. and also like they had to build a, like a weird contraption to yeah. have both cameras yeah it's actually built as a bespoke stand because well, yeah. it's not meant to have two cameras on it or well two cameras with two sets of film in them I'm telling you yeah. now if he had trademarked that if he actually went and got a pattern for that he'd be a oh. billionaire right now because that's the way 3D filming went, <laughs> went didn't it he, he actually yeah. basically invented 3D cinema yeah yeah, you know, you know, Tommy Wiseau gets a lot of credit for a lot of things, but you know what he doesn't get credit for? Inventing three D films, and yeah. it's time. It's absolutely time that it's he about got it. Time. You know, yeah. The Academy yeah. are a bunch of cowards who should recognize Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> all those three D films, all those three D films that existed before, forget about them. He invented three D film. I'm telling yeah. you, I'm telling yeah. you, he did. But Jaws three D, fuck off. It was it was the <laughs> yeah. room. So the room basically is a story of Johnny. Uh, he sure. played by Tommy Wiseau. He, he's basically it's a story of one man and, a, and his girlfriend and the girlfriend's friend and basically everything that's good in this man's life turns to shit. Now, if you yeah. were to, if you were to believe the story of uh, the disaster artist and, and and that book and that film, it's basically because everyone in his real life started like uh, betraying him and in, in, in his eyes and like his yeah. girlfriend was cheating on him all this sort of stuff and eventually <clears throat> this led to. Um, uh, him changing the, the 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 story of the film. Now, there's a lot of different characters in this film. Some of them mm. are in there for a minute. Some of them are gone. Mo- every single one of them uh, betrays Johnny in some way. Uh, now, I, I was wondering when I was going to mention this, but this is probably the perfect time. I've mentioned before, either on this podcast or another one, about my wife asking uh, Tommy Wiseau a question in real life. Because maybe mm. the listeners didn't know... I have told them that I went to a screening and Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sesteri were there. What they don't know is that Conrad was meant to be there with me uh, and the, the train didn't run that day, so he wasn't yeah. able to get there. Yeah, one of my greatest regrets in life was not being able to make it to that screening in London that um, I look back on sorrowfully. I think of how differently my life could have gone had I made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to be on your, you're gonna be in your deathbed, Conrad, and your children <laughs> are going to come up to you and you're going to be like, what is it, yeah. Father? What do you want to tell us? It goes... I wish I had got to see. <laughs> yeah. Tommy was so. <laughs> and then you pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, when we were there, though, uh, Ema, my wife, went up. And I've told us this story before, but I got it wrong because Ema listened to the podcast <clears throat> last time and she said, You were wrong about that. Uh, okay. So she actually went up and she asked Tommy Wiseau a question. And she said, um, Now, Tommy, uh, Tommy, in the film, Johnny's portrayed as such a fantastic character. He's p- portrayed as mm. like. A loving uh, f- uh, boyfriend, a great friend, and everyone betrays him, and everyone like stabs him in the back. Um, what you know? What were you trying to put across with there? What was the artistic direction you were going with with that? She was like trying to ask a really arty farty question to this mental yeah. case, and he and, <laughs> and his answer was his answer was now Emo's correct me. His answer was uh, if everybody loves each other, then the world will be a better place. That's what he said. <laughs> I mean, it's true. That is true. Um, you can't argue. It's not. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say it's an answer to the question. Yeah. Um, but a good point, nonetheless. 
<laughs> it's like, yes, Tommy, if everyone did love each other, the world would be a better place. Yeah. Are you are you making this film as like this is what happens when people don't love each other? Or exactly. Yeah, he doesn't even he doesn't even get it. I think last yeah. time yeah. last time I, I I used a quote that I, I thought he said this to us, but actually he just said it in an interview. And someone said, "What does the room mean?" And he just goes, uh, "Well, you know, everyone has a room. Everyone has a room, and you go to the room, and everyone has a room, and that's that's what it's about. It's the room." That 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 was his answer. Excellent. Well, Again, also question. also technically true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, unless you're homeless, you don't have a room if you're homeless. It almost oh, sounds true. as if he doesn't know and just kind yeah. of gave it a deliberately vague name to make it sound important, um, <laughs> yeah. and doesn't wish to be questioned further on the title. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't so, want to be questioned further on the film, on his own personal history, on yeah. yeah. Well, like the, the 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 crazy thing, there's so many details in this film which are just absolutely terrible. My favorite one is in the uh, photo frames in the house. Every photo frame has pictures of spoons in there because yeah. because they didn't replace the stock images from the photo frames they bought. <laughs> so in the when you go to see it uh, in the cinema, everyone brings plastic spoons with them. Now, we didn't know this before we went, but we learned it there. And whenever, whenever these picture frames with the spoons appear on screen, everyone just throws plastic spoons and goes, Spoon! <laughs> and these plastic spoons are flying all over the cinema. That's great. It's... Oh my god, I love it. And like, it's yeah. it, it's so crazy because like you know it's what that that's one of those details that comes to you when you've watched it a few times and you're now just starting to like look for other details and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. like it's just like what is this spoon photo? Because like and so many other like productions like it's such a simple thing, especially for like a lot of people just to like get like an old photo of when you were like a kid or something like that yeah, and yeah. put it in a frame pretending that's your character when they were younger or something like that but like Tommy is such an enigma that I would totally be willing to believe that he was born as this weird whatever height he is goblin man and he yeah. has never actually been a child at any stage he's, he's just like, always um, been that he's like Homelander in the boys where if yeah. confronted with any actual uh, item of sentimentality from his childhood he lashes out because it, yeah. it brings back such painful memories for him um, the, the one thing I will mention about uh, Johnny's characterization in this um, is that um, what, and, and probably my favourite bit of trivia from the room is that in the initial screenplay uh, Johnny was supposed to be a vampire um, oh and, um, that's great and, and and unfortunately, that particular subplot needed to be cut because they couldn't figure out a way to make a car fly across San Francisco's sky um, uh, <laughs> I, I, within the budgetary constraints of the movie, which I don't know. Drop a, drop a camera, Tommy. Drop a camera and you've got your vampire there. Yeah, I mean, this the road not taken is all I'll say with that subplot. But I mean, it... it, it I don't really see how vampirism fits into the narrative of the room. Um, yeah. But then there's a lot of narrative arcs which aren't really aren't really fully explored, let's the, say. So the it, it leads me it leads me quite yeah, leads me quite naturally onto a question I was going to ask you guys, which is uh, who is your favorite character in the room and why is it Denny? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it immediately. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Denny. I, like, I love I love Denny for a number of reasons. Yeah. His random drug addiction, which oh, has gotten the, him into trouble. The, with... the, the the Chris R storyline in the room is <laughs> yeah. a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> yeah. Also, the dude's the best actor in the whole thing, oh, which easily. is yeah. kind of crazy. And he's got such a great aura about him. The fact that like Denny has this weird sort of pervert energy about yeah. him in every scene. Yeah, where he's got like... like a pervy sixteen-year-old, clearly played yeah. by a man in his mid-twenties, where it's just yeah. like, um, this isn't capturing what I think you think it's capturing. 
Yeah, and it's just like, oh, it's like, can I watch? It's like, what? <laughs> what? Did no, sir. Uh, no, no, you cannot watch. <laughs> yeah, but like, I, I think you should go. Said that I think, to me. So, oh. oh. I think you should, I think you should go on a bit uh, mainstream with the Denny pick, to be honest with you. However, you've got some company because when you go to see it live, every time Denny comes on the screen, screen the whole cinema goes, "Hi, Denny." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, go on, Anthony. What's what's uh, who would you pick as your favorite character then? I, I can't is remember it, which one it is, but there's is two... it Lisa's mum who announces that she has cancer? Uh, it was almost Lisa's mum. It was always Lisa's mum. Uh, yeah, she mentioned she has cancer. Never mentioned again. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, the, the, the one, the one that there's a there's okay. There's two characters, right? At a certain point, in, <laughs> at a certain point in the making of the film, one of the actors quit, and then uh, they they just they just recast the actor. Gave him a different name. So it's either Peter or Steven. I don't know which one. I think one. it's Peter. I was going to say Paul. So yeah. I think it begins with a P. Yeah. He just randomly appears in like, with like 15 minutes to go. And he just takes on like whatever, the, uh, like Steven or whatever the last character was doing in in the film. And he's just like yeah. there. And out of nowhere, he's just there. Uh, you know, maybe actually that's a little bit, a uh, little bit analogous to uh, Katana in a film we'll talk about later. But, but he's, he's just there. And he's my favorite character because I'm just like, geez, mate, you know, I hope Tommy Wiseau paid you like a hundred grand to do this week of work, you know? Well, he, de- yeah. he definitely didn't do that. Let's be honest. Like the, the the actors in this movie, I'm fairly sure got paid in exposure and very limited financial uh, recompense. Yeah, the green screen got all the money. Let's be honest. <laughs> what, like, didn't the, the lead actor, Greg, didn't he and Tommy have some sort of really weird contract situation that like only if like the, the film was finished released and such would he get any of the money mm. for like being in the film like that is one a very scummy way of like you know um like underpaying your actors or like forcing them into weird contracts but it's also like oh like imagine if you got to the end of this huge production and it just fell apart at the last minute and you just yeah. lost all these weeks you know that, yeah there goes six months of my life yeah, oh, literally six. And but also, they they actually knew each other before the film was made. So in the film, the disaster artist, where James Franco made a film uh, about the making of this, one of the things. I, well, before we move off the room, we're probably pretty close to moving off it now. Before we move off it, I wanted to get you get your your opinion on this. In the disaster artist film, they put in like a subplot there, or maybe even maybe you could even say it's the main plot to in, to sort of put across that maybe there's tones of like. Uh, homoeroticism between greg and tommy in real life and maybe tommy fancied greg um and tommy's come out and said no 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 i don't believe that what is your position on that whether that was true or not should they have sought tommy wazoo's permission on that you know what to Mm. imply that there was a sexual tension there yeah what do you think about that it's based on greg sestero's book yeah yeah like i mean like it's just it's his it's his read of the situation. I guess. like certainly by based on based on that book. It, it, I think it's, it's inarguable from from Greg's standpoint that like that Tommy was, yeah. was enamored with Greg Sestero as a person, whether that was romantic or just you know he kind of looked up to him and wanted to be more like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is like up for debate, I guess. Okay, yeah, for- no, I think yeah, I think like a, it, like it's good to watch like the room and the disaster artist is like a double feature in a weird way. <laughs> You know, um, but like, yeah, definitely. I, it, it is a kind of a weird thing to like take real life people and imply that there's like a sexual attraction to like between them when like mm-hmm. maybe that neither of them have stated that, which is a bit interesting. But like, I can totally see why you would read that relationship in that way. I think that 
Tommy Wiseau, not to make it a little bit sad, but I think he's just a deeply lonely person, ultimately. <laughs> and, like, Greg was this person that he gravitated towards because Greg didn't, at least initially, kick him out of his life. And, yeah. like, he really needed that. And, like, you know, it could easily be read as, like, this weird sort of almost lover-like jealousy when Greg's life almost moves away from him in any way, you know? Mm. So it's, it's a weird what you're saying is Greg it? is Tommy Rousseau's muse and we've exactly. got the room for it. Well, I mean, okay, that I think that's going to that's gonna move us quite neatly along from, from the room, speaking of muses. Um, I, I think what, what I was planning on us talking about now is two movies that I don't think you guys have seen, so I'm not going to spend too long on these. Okay. But I wanted to get into them before we do do a cut like well one one other big one um and these are my I, i'm not gonna say these are deep cuts because i think a lot of people have 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 seen seen these these movies um one in particular there's a pretty widespread widespread blu-ray release of so it's not some um unknown classic um but the first one i wanted to talk about briefly was um 1987's miami connection um now so th- this movie like <laughs> it's basically as with the room and I think in a lot of these, when a when a movie is directed by, written, and starring the same person, <laughs> you know that you're in for a potential potentially disastrous vanity project. Um, and in this case, um, this was this was uh, written, directed, and starred uh, a guy called Y. Or he's credited as Y. K. Kim. His actual name was Wu Sang Park. He was like a a Korean Taekwondo instructor. Um, his character name in it is Mark. Um, which isn't all that believable to be to be honest. Um, uh, particularly given that, well, actually no, I guess it's more believable because every character in this movie, most of whom are played by students at his Taekwondo dojo, um, have one name, and almost all of them begin with J. So you've got Mark, John, Jack, Jim, Jane, Jeff, and Tom. Uh, <laughs> are the main characters. He, he forgot the little curly bit on the J for John there. It's just yeah, Tom. yeah. It should have been John, but unfortunately, Jonas. yeah, his pen ran out of ink and it was committed to the to the scripts and printed, and they just had to run with it. Um, and basically, th- this movie it, it tells the story of of a Taekwondo rock band called Dragon Sound, um, who ba- stumble upon a drug trafficking ring in Miami uh, when one of them dates the sister of like this biker gang. Uh, and then they become embroiled in a conflict, and eventually the biker gang call for outside help in the form of ninjas, um, and everything gets a bit more dangerous. It's a terrible movie in every respect. I think the, the, the thing that I really want to drill down on in this one is uh, the music. The songs of Dragon Sound um, are absolutely, objectively great songs. Uh, there's one called Friends, which was later featured in... I don't know if either of you played this, but it was in the end credits of a game called Far Cry Blood Dragon, um didn't play it well it, uh, no. so it, it i mean it's basically without irony sings about the joys of friendship um <laughs> and, and this is really is a movie about friendship it's about a bunch of guys who normally spend time with their shirts off just at home um and and the the, the songs they write <laughs> say things like friends through eternity loyalty honesty will stick together through thick or thin Friends forever will be together. We're on top because we play to win, um, which is just one of the best lines in any song I've ever heard. Um, and <laughs> yes, um, and, and so I mean, I, I don't want to spend too long on this, but I think it, it's it's basically the 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 entire movie is Dragon Sound telling the gang to piss off, 
um, for about 70 odd minutes before the ninjas turn up, seriously injure one member of Dragon Sound, uh, and then they go ham with swords, kill an, a huge number of people in incredibly violent ways before the movie fades to, pla- uh, to black uh, and a message which reads, only through the elimination of violence can we achieve world peace uh, displays on the screen. Uh, uh, and, and it's just, it's just... It's just a great ending to a movie. It really is. Um, the biker gang was all uh, real bikers and they were paid in beer. Um, and it's just, it is a shocking movie with an absolutely great soundtrack. And actually, um, I guess kind of, I don't know about with like The Room. I don't know how much of a financial success The Room was shortly after it came out. Because it seems like that kind of gained its cult following relatively quickly um, afterwards. But in the case of Miami Connection, it's kind of a, it's kind of an adorable story because ba- one of the uh, guys at the like Alamo Draft House basically found a 35 millimeter print um, of this movie and put it on, and it like rapidly rapidly gained um, gained a cult following. But but this was in like 2010, um, mm-hmm. and he phoned the guy who created it, this YK Kim guy, and said, "Oh, you know, can we get a, like redistribute this?" And initially he said it was a pra- I thought it was a prank call because uh, this movie failed so badly on its release in 1987, and it was like quite a hurtful memory. But in in, in kind of like a waiting for Sugar Man redemptive arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, eventually he like kind of said okay you can redistribute it and and the movie actually found some success as like a midnight release um like 30 years uh, or 25 years after it initially came out so it's a lovely it's a lovely story yeah that that, that sounds amazing <laughs> it, a happy it, it, ending in the weirdest sense of the word uh, you know? yeah. uh. and and there's no the thing i kind of like about this as opposed to the room is is the room <clears throat> not I, I mean a lot of it's unsubstantiated but there's a lot of weirdness in the room like there's a lot of tommy Rousseau insisting on having sex scenes like and, yeah. and with and, denny and, watching you know yeah with denny yeah. watching and and you know with increasingly seemingly unwilling women um whereas this it's all just wholesome a bunch of guys hanging out singing about friendship occasionally singing about ninjas um and then killing everyone and delivering a message of world peace like which, yeah exactly. that is a good message but i will say like the room did give me my response to my wife when she asked me to do something anything for my princess so very very true that's uh always hey if you're in a relationship with anybody that's all, those are the words you need to remember <laughs> anything for my princess and that goes for men and women you know i can be a princess you can be a princess sure. you know it's just you gotta do everything for your princess we can you abolish gotta, princesses know. together we can no we can do it all so, uh, uh you're tearing me apart lisa no no no, <laughs> no it has to be uh anything from a princess but okay. i will say i i haven't seen this film but Knowing that it's so bad, it's good. I went and looked at some of the quotes on IMDb. Hmm. Uh, so here's one of them. It says here, My mother was Korean. My father was black American. She gave me this picture when she was real sick. I was only nine years old. <laughs> that, that, that just sounds... <laughs> I don't know why it's funny. It's just funny. Yeah. So that, that character, um, he, he is played... Uh, like he's one of the, the, one of the members of Dragon Sound. And his dad turns up. He's actually the one who gets seriously injured. And his dad turns oh, yeah. up in the hospital um afterwards and um you know when you were like 11 and in a school play and someone had to play an old man and they just put a bunch of talcum powder in <laughs> yeah your hair? that is 100 percent what they've done like the actor who plays his dad is younger than the, the actor who <laughs> plays the, the character and they've just put a bunch of talcum powder in his hair to make him look older and it's it's inf- unfathomable to me <laughs> that they couldn't just find someone older than this guy to, to play his dad but that was the choice they made well, yeah. surely surely there, there must be like tons of like local productions with like older people who are like just kind of having fun like you couldn't find like one guy who is like yeah i'll do it yeah sure whatever yeah uh, pay me pay me in beer like you're paying the bikers yeah, yeah. totally god 
Um, crazy. Yeah, to, I mean, so uh, it's a wholesome message in Miami Connection, <laughs> and one and one that I think we can all get behind. I, I I'm going to say that the next movie that I'm going to briefly talk about before we move on to um, move on to the big one, one. That, uh, let's say it's going to be contentious. I, I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to you know put the cart before the horse as I as I'm wont to say, <laughs> but you're going to want to stick around for this one, folks, because uh, <laughs> this this may be. Emmett signing his signing his death wish on the uh, the best movie podcast ever with his, with, the, with the take he's about to share with us. Um, but before we get to that, so this one is more mainstream. I think uh, this is the one that has like a pretty widespread Blu-ray release. Uh, it was released in 1991 initially, um, and it was from this uh, Iranian director called Amir Shervan, who never made another film after this. And um, oh. once you've watched it, it will be clear why. Um, and that is uh, Samurai Cop, which. <laughs> I mean, it is what it, it is what it sounds like. Uh, it tells the story of Joe Marshall, uh, who is like a, a cop who's been like sort of trained in the way of Bushido, um, who is brought in from I think he's brought in from San Francisco um, to deal with the bloodthirsty Japanese katana gang, um, who are notable because only two members of the gang are actually Japanese, um, and uh, <laughs> ca- chaos ensues as he kills them off. Um, and it, it, it's it stars uh, a guy called Matthew Caredas and uh, Robert Zadar, who is is kind of like a legend in in the so bad it's good movie scene. Like uh, he's got this like kind of enormous jaw. Um, Gerald Okamura is like a famous martial artist and a guy called Cranston Kimura who is the other Japanese guy in this movie who has three credits to his name uh, one is Samurai Cop, the second one is Samurai Cop 2 and the third one is a documentary about the making of Samurai Cop so uh, he didn't he didn't Re- spread his wings far he, he devoted his life to the Samurai Cop franchise yeah, absolutely. that's another way of looking at it, he mastered the role, like that's what he yeah. spent his time doing um, so, he had a Mark Hamill you yes. know, where they just couldn't see him as anything but the role he was most famous yeah, like, for, you know? The most typecast of actors that, mm. that we've ever seen. Um, so, I mean, I love this movie for quite a few reasons. Uh, the first is that <clears throat> you kind of realise about halfway through that there's kind of like a lack of atmospheric lighting to it, and then you realise that every single scene in it has been shot in the daytime, and that's because the director couldn't afford the lights to shoot at night. So every every scene happens in just broad daylight. There's no no and 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 you know they're, they're shot badly as well. So he's not even able to kind of use shadow atmospherically in the scenes during the daytime. Um, pretty much every scene in this movie was shot with a single take, which is very clear from some of the the performances. Yeah. Um, and I think. What the hell? So, like, our listeners will probably know that I'm a big fan of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I don't know where you, if you've ever seen that, Emmett, or where you, where you, where you stand on on Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, I, if it's anything like Samurai Cop, I'm sure I'll love it. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, so, did you actually get around to to watching this? No, but I get. Okay. I love what I love about these two films that you have pitched to us is they're both their plots sound like someone has played a Mad Libs game and been like, "We're we're going to make a film now yeah. from this." Yeah, I mean, I mean to like, me, and the fact that he's a samurai is largely irrelevant yeah. until the last fight of the movie. Like, he doesn't do very much samurai stuff. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it is literally just like someone's jammed two words together. Like they saw RoboCop and they're like, "What if?" instead of him being part man, part machine, all cop, he was part samurai, part <laughs> man, all cop. Um, and just and, and they tried to work backwards from there, but realised they didn't know anyone who could do like sword fighting. Um, so the, 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 the thing that I was going to mention in this that, that kind of put, puts me in mind of uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is that um, Richard Ayoade in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place plays this character called Dean Lerner, 
who delivers like absolutely brilliantly like stilted dialogue and there's a character in this called frank washington who is kind of like the american dean Lerner, where like all of his shots are just kind of static shots of him from the shoulder up responding to something else clearly the other actor isn't in the shot and it's a recut uh, it's shot after the fact and he's just doing things like and and like and and like sort of just making faces it's it's so good um and and speaking of recuts actually this movie is very famous for the fact that the lead uh matthew caredas um he finished shooting cut his hair he has like all these long long kind of uh, brown locks and then they realized they needed to reshoot about seven months later so they brought him back but he had short hair so they put him in what is very clearly a women's wig um like it's because it's he says you know kind of sh- it is long but it's kind of like quite straight um and the wig they put him in has got like, these lovely ringlets at the bottom um and there is a fight scene where he where he's fighting gerald okamura while wearing the wig and uh, okamura kind of yanks his head back and the wig just comes off uh, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they and they left it in the movie because they did everything in one shot um, <laughs> it's just it's just this absolute comedy of errors this that means movie. in canon what, in canon yeah. he's got a wig on the whole film yeah well it's not even just a wig as well because there are times when when he's they're, they're having to do quite significant retake uh reshoots so uh they, they 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 do you know like full full kind of like moving camera shots like with him like clearly featured like rather than than wide uh, uh wide stuff and he wears the shittiest little baseball cap you've ever seen on top of the wig to, I think, try and disguise the fact that it's clearly not his real hair. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, it, it's just it, it's just a shambles from start to finish. But it's very, very funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, la- it's... I'm laughing just even hearing you describe it. So I can imagine I'm going to love this film. Yeah, I mean, it's like the script is amazing. Um, but there's a, there's a great scene where um, where Joe uh, tries to flirt with the Doctor, uh, and the, the the dialogue proceeds as follows: um, Have you been? This is the Doctor speaking. Have you been circumcised? He responds, "Yes." Um, she responds, <laughs> "Your Doctor cut off a big portion," uh, and he responds with absolute seriousness. There's no no joke in his voice. No, he was a good Doctor. Uh, <laughs> which is just. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which is just a great response to that. Just stonewall the the insult. Like I refuse to respond to that. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a great movie, worth seeking out. I would say um, it's it is just it is tragically bad. It really is tragically bad. Yeah, it sounds bad. Like uh, when I think of bad movies, movies so bad they're good. For some reason, my head doesn't go to these sort of like weird actiony ones, you know. But but having said that, they'd be the most fun to watch. I think you know. True. Yeah, I mean they're definitely. I I I uh, made my partner rewatch this with me, or well, <laughs> her first time, but but I've seen it multiple times uh, with me the other day, and and she kind of she didn't really get it. Um, I think because y- these movies need to be watched in a group with like everyone laughing and drinking alcohol, because otherwise it just becomes <laughs> like a quite sad experience. We're like, oh, this, this is just this is just awful. Like this is <laughs> like this. I don't, nothing about this. Nothing about this feels good. Um, you're like, why is Robert Zadar trying to gun down the heroes and only shooting his own men in this scene? Like, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't make sense. Um, but there, there's too, there is too much to talk about with it. Like um, with this movie, right? But I, I, um, I, I really can't recommend it enough if someone wants to see like a shitty action movie. Um, but I think that's enough on that. I've had I've had my say on the two that I wanted to get in here. Um, I think it's now time for uh, the the pièce de résistance, um, which yep. is I- I'm going to turn it back over to Emmett, 
and I'm gonna I'm I'm handing you I'm handing you the gun and the bullets and I'm gonna say listen it's your funeral if you <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna talk about this you're welcome to do it load it up <laughs> have at it exactly I I'm going I'm gonna dive right into this okay so I think a common theme that of the films that we have talked to uh, talked about so far is earnestness incompetence. And like just a single person's like vision that goes terribly wrong because they just don't have any skill for it. I think that's okay. true of like the room, and from what you've said of the other two films, it sounds like that was what was going on from them. Yeah. The next film that I'm about to talk about is kind of in a weird way like an inverse of all those problems, and still somehow ends up being deeply entertaining, but not in the way that they intended, in my mind. The okay. film I'm talking about today is Suicide Squad, and I'm sure uh, someone is already calling me an idiot in the comments. So, well, yeah, yeah. You're like you know, let's give him a chance, folks. Give him a chance. Yes. Like, <laughs> well, I will. I will say, when Emmett pitched this idea to me about doing this on the podcast, it, it very much came from a place that, that we were talking about. That the way, the reason why films so bad they're good exist, and the reason why people enjoy them is because they have a group of friends who watch it and then all of a sudden like they they almost get references out of it together and i yeah. believe that's what's happened with emmett here yes it's 100 percent what happened i went to see it with a group of friends we went into suicide squad knowing it was going to be a bad film but still being surprised by the levels of bad in this mainstream production with all these well-known, well-respected actors and a lot of, like, money pumped into it and all that. And, yeah. like, somehow it just goes so far off the rails that, like, it somehow kind of swings around and becomes this thing of beauty of, like, <laughs> why you shouldn't you shouldn't write by committee, why you shouldn't just try and copy whatever's popular at the moment, why you shouldn't do, like, a ton of rewrites and re-edits with no direction in mind. And, you know, maybe you can make an argument that there's a little bit of that in some of the other films within the uh, the DC expanded universe. But, like, it's all these sort of conflicting ideas. And there's two With The Room, there's a singular voice, and the singular voice is bad, yeah. and it's very, very funny. It's when auteur theory goes disastrously wrong. Is... Exactly. When, <laughs> when, when auteur theory is proven to be correct, and it's most terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's most terrifying. And Suicide Squad is, like, so many people in a room screaming to try and be heard but nobody can be heard and it's just a kind of cophony of noise and weirdness because like you can tell that this film is trying its hardest to ape like guardians of the galaxy to the point where the new film is directed by james gunn and is just <laughs> a dc version of guardians of the galaxy essentially you know mm -hmm. and but they do it so poorly so badly and it just falls apart there's so many like key like misunderstandings about how to do film or how to structure film or how to edit film that it kind of becomes fascinating. Everything is at some points so fast paced that you can't take any useful information in. And then at other points, so mind bogglingly slow that you like are completely taken out of the moment. It's just, it's mental. Like both yeah. of you've seen Suicide yeah. Squad as well, you know? Yeah. So, like you've, I, you've I was seen how bad it is. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I like to 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 defend Emmett here in terms of this being so bad, it's good. 
I did, the first time I saw it, did laugh out loud when it was revealed what they were actually going to save. When it was revealed that actually they're going to save the the chief woman or whatever she is, and some reason they kept that a secret from them, whenever that was revealed, I remember laughing out loud. I, re- I laughed out loud at how bad they did the Joker. I laughed out loud that, yeah. that the Joker's lying in this perfectly ordered like you know circle of knives this man is the, the epitome you know the personification of chaos why is he lining his knives up in a perfect circle it's like it is inherently funny like there's there's moments where like certain characters deaths i mentioned earlier on that the character of katana uh every one of the suicide squad gets like a musical montage open part and their name yeah. gets put on the screen and then Half an hour later, when they're all on the on the plane getting ready to go, uh, Joel Kinnaman's character just goes, "This is Katana. <laughs> She's just there. Her, yeah. her soul eats you if <laughs> she kills you. If she kills you with your sword, your soul will be trapped in its blade for all of eternity. So I wouldn't get on her bad side. Screenwriting one oh one, people. You know, like I mean- you are told." show don't tell we've just had a major character like a third of the way of the into the film walk into shot be introduced and just sit down and become part of the crew with nothing else there yeah. it was so I, I crazy think, I, I think the 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 issue i take with this movie and the fact that the reason i don't find it that entertaining is because when, when you look at these other movies we talked about yes yeah, so, some of them do have higher budgets you know six million dollars for the room is is not it's not chump change, and some I think some of the other, the other ones I talked about had had really reasonably significant budgets. But there's just something that rubs me the wrong way about Warner Brothers making it like spending hundreds of millions of dollars making a movie and then being like, "Shit, Batman versus Superman tanked. Let's copy Deadpool instead." And taking a director's vision and in the edit, I mean, I don't even know if it was going to be a movie. Maybe it would have sucked. Maybe maybe David Ayer's original version would have sucked anyway. But like taking it and in the edit, handing it off to a third party and being like, make this like Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy because that's what's popular, and just butchering the creative vision of a director. So like when I when I see like the the introductions to the characters with like you know the neon text and all the like it's like. It's like they saw the guard, the, the licensed music use in Guardians of the Galaxy and just like went into overdrive on that. We're like, first half hour, get as many licensed songs into this as you possibly can. Like there's like three in the first five minutes. Um, and, they, just and threw, it, they just threw a dart at Spotify and saw what hit. And yeah, then... they're just like, Spirit in the Sky. Uh, like, uh, like all these other songs that we're going to use. Like, it, it's just <laughs> absolutely Songs with crazy. no subtlety. Songs with no subtlety at all. Yeah. Like the one for like Harley Quinn is like, you don't own me. Yeah, and, that's like, right. You don't own me. Yeah, that's right. Like it's, oh, it's so, it's so on the nose, but like I, I completely understand. Like the taking of the director's vision is, oh, it's, it's very, it, it does hurt my enjoyment somewhat. But there is just something so crazy about you know, watching like because you can feel like the executives in a boardroom yeah. being like, we, we know what's popular. We yeah. know how to make a good movie. The kids love Joker. Get him in there. Although actually, they took out most of the Joker to be honest. So yeah, clearly, they they've made the opposite of that decision. Well, I will say actually, Emmett, Emmett, you're you're right. I think I think what I'm reflecting upon on this is if you were gonna have a big budget superhero film be so bad it's good, this is probably the one that comes closest. This is the mm-hmm. one you would choose. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. In the '90s, we had some nipples on Batman, but I don't think you could <laughs> say the whole thing was as you know bad as this. I- uh, 
I, 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 mm, I don't know. Batman and Robin's pretty bad, and I, I, I like. I've got a soft spot for Batman for all the Joel Schumacher Batmans because it was just Batman like, and Robin Batman is with Neon oddly Page. charming. It's oddly charming. Like I don't know yeah. what it is about it. Maybe it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Maybe it's like all <laughs> exactly like everyone's <laughs> everyone's performances. But there's just something. It's like someone only seen the '60s Batman, and like we're told to try and make that cool. And by that standards, it's a much cooler version of, like, the 60s Batman. But, like, by every other standards of, like, a Batman film, it's not, like, cool at all. But it's yeah. it's weirdly engaging. Well, what I love about that is it actually was seen as, you know, not a good film and a bit naff and a bit cheesy, even before the Chris Nolan Batman films. Like, it was yeah. it was seen that way just compared to the Tim Burton ones. You know, that's that's what they were coming off this... Whereas if you look at the Tim Burton ones now... Compare and compare them to those Batman, Robin, uh, and Batman Forever. Now, Batman, Robin, Batman Forever are clearly a step down. But if you compare all four of those ones from the '90s to um, to the Chris Nolan ones, the ones in the '90s all feel like more of a thing. That like mm. the the Tim Burton ones feel closer to the ones in the '90s than they do the Chris Nolan ones. I would oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're they're still very cheesy. They're just um, yeah. they there's a there's a, a, a more of a there's less of a I don't. I, no, I'm not going to say there's less of a tongue in cheek because the Tim Burton ones are tongue in cheek as well. But it's just like there, there's just something a little bit more kind of like earnest and and, yeah. and serious about those first two. Like they are still dark, even though they're silly. I, yeah. Whereas they just they just abandon that completely by Batman Forever and it, you know and I like Batman Forever. I think Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey are great in that movie. Um and uh, and I've always got a soft spot for Val Kilmer. Um <laughs> despite him apparently being a nightmare to work with. I mean, half the half the actors in Hollywood are likely a nightmare to work with, but I feel like the big difference between like the Tim Burton Batman films versus the Schumacher Batman films is like the Tim Burton ones are like a gothic cartoony, where it's like you know it is sort of cartoony yeah. in that sort of like Tim Burton aesthetic kind of way, but it's still all very gothic in that way, so it fits in very neatly with the Batman niche. Whereas the Schumachers is just more cartoony, cartoony like, full-on yeah. cartoon. Like, Jim <laughs> yeah. Carrey is, is essentially a cartoon character, and so is Arnold Schwarzenegger in, like, Batman and Robin. So, like, you know, it just goes fully into that sort of, like, this is a, almost a live-action cartoon somehow, and it's very interesting that way. And, like, Suicide Squad is, like... It's, like, like an old person's idea of what they think teenagers think are cool, if you get me, where it's like, ah, I'm hip with the kids, I can understand this, and just, like, a fundamental feeling on, like, every level to understand why any of the films that they're trying to ape succeeded, yeah. to, like, understand, like, the tone that the film could have had, and, like, the ideas that the film could have run with, and, like, maybe make that work, but, like, also just, like, a fundamental misunderstanding of how storytelling and filmmaking makes, which is just so interesting to watch and there is just a lot of really great quotable lines like katana's her sword will like um, suck your soul up and like kill you or like uh killer croc you know like turning to the guys that are about to go into the sewer being like you guys are just tourists i live in the sewer and then just going down to like his hands and knees and crawling into the water like a w weird goblin man uh, or, or, or the fact or the fact that the premise for this team is to take down Superman when this group consists of 
a psychiatric doctor who was driven insane with a baseball a bat. Really, yeah, a big with a baseball mallet, bat. A mallet, a, a mallet, a mallet. Come on, you a guy noobs. who's a guy who's <laughs> really good at shooting things. A guy with a skin condition, someone who kind of has fire powers, and then like a very powerful witch that they immediately lose control of. Yeah. Like, and also another funny thing that I I love to bring up to people. Because, like, when you start a superhero universe or you start, like, a big franchise like that, oftentimes, like, your first big crossover will set the tone for, like, the rest of the films in the franchise. So, like, Avengers being, like, the first big crossover with all those characters and such yeah. set the tone. Like, any team that exists in that universe will be immediately compared to the Avengers. Yeah. In the DC Cinematic Universe, the Suicide Squad comes before the Justice League. Yeah, yeah. That's their, that's their benchmark. <laughs> yeah, so, that, so it's, like... If some like if people learned about the Suicide Squad or like know about them because of what they did, and like then the Justice League appears, like oh, you guys are like the Suicide Squad then, and they're and like the Batman and them ones are gonna be like who? Yeah, yeah, they came first. But I yeah, mean, it, like, it is a good point about the um, like yeah, the the, the sort of central folly. Of Suicide Squad, that oh, what happens if Superman kidnaps the president? We need some bad guys to take him down, and it, it takes, puts me back in mind of a conversation me and my friends always used to have about the old, um, like the old, the old like Justice League versus Legion of Doom stuff, where like oh. Gorilla Grodd was in the Legion of Doom, who was a, who's a, a psychic uh, gorilla essentially, and it was always Love like, him. yeah, gorillas are like strong. But like bullets still work on them. They're not like <laughs> yeah. they're not like indestructible strong. Superman is literally bulletproof. Like you're yeah. gonna like he can he can deal with whole armies by himself. Like the the gorilla and the crocodile man are not going to be a problem for <laughs> for Superman. It, it's it, like it's it's a funny like it's funny to see like another film in like the same series <clears throat> completely destroy the premise of another film. Like if you just go watch the Justice League film and like that whichever version. I haven't watched the full four hour one yet. That's a big commitment to sit down for. Um, like the moment where like the cyborg Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Flash are fighting the like confused and newly resurrected Superman. Yeah. And like these titans of power are like getting their asses whooped yeah. by like a confused newly resurrected Superman. These yeah. people like could all easily take down the Suicide Squad themselves, oh, any yeah. one of them, even Batman. But, like, Superman's walking through these people as though they were made of paper, and it's like, no, Amanda Waller's really convinced yeah. that this team's gonna do it. She's, yeah, I mean, she's got it. it, it, it yeah, like, I mean, for a start, that, like, it, it, it's it's like, their entire mission doesn't really make that much self and uh, that that much sense. But then, yeah, absolutely, as you say, like the 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 Suicide Squad are essentially the equivalent of the armed gunmen who run into like the bank or museum or wherever Wonder Woman is at the beginning of um of the Justice League, uh, led by I think it's Michael McElhatton, the 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 the, the guy who played Bruce Bolton in Game of Thrones. Like <laughs> yeah. that's essentially yeah. the Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman like, just kicks the shit out of them on her own. So yeah, but this this idea that they can take Superman is a laughably bad idea. But you know maybe it's a scathing indictment of the of U.S. government. Hey, you know, there's there's definitely some criticism, and also the fact that they're making prisoners essentially slaves. Even if these prisoners are bad people, they still have rights. You yeah. keep rights. your politics out of my films. Yeah, I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sick of it. No, no film has ever had a political message ever <laughs> until this decade, yeah. and now it's all politics. Yeah. All well, let, time, let's not talk know? about the first ever film. I actually mean it. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean the sneeze? 
Are we talking about the 1896 as the sneak? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, very no, political no. film. Probably the least political film of all time, to be honest. Like, <laughs> well, that, that's what you think. But if you like really slow it down, there is actually like a message about the yeah, folly yeah, of capitalism yeah. worked in there. Yeah. Yeah. They actually said vote Labour as they were sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the whole thing up. Um, okay, cool. Well, I mean. Listen, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat around the bush here. I watched this movie today, and I was not I did not f- enjoy it. <laughs> there was I I was left Completely with a kind of a distinct feeling of malaise, and was kind of just like, man, this is just bad. And I I get where you're coming from with some of the some of the lines being very quotable. I could I could certainly see in a in a different if I hadn't watched it by myself, and if I was watching it with friends, kind of in the same way to these other movies. Um, and was having a few drinks. There are definitely some lines in there. I think Joker is a bridge too far for me as a character because, God, Jared Leto as an actor sucks balls. He has always sucked <laughs> balls. And Jesus Christ, is he bad in this movie? Like I, I was just like, get him off the screen. I understand why they cut almost all of his stuff out of it in retrospect. Yeah, and he also like in real life he has a weird sex cult going on. Yeah, right? so that's another oh, really? odd element. Yeah. I feel like he's yeah. kind of like. Uh, I mean, I don't like to judge people by their appearances, but he definitely looks like a cult leader like ninety percent of the time. So he's clearly leaning into that. If that's that's yeah, what he's no, Conrad, he literally it, takes people away like to a a festival and he dresses like Jesus and like with white robes on and stuff. And he, he he's literally got a cult. That's like not not beat around the bush. He's yeah. literally got a cult. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it, I mean, 30 Seconds to Mars suck as well, so, like, yeah. yeah. Like, just everything about Jared Leto. Can we stop well, putting him in movies, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things to unpack about Jared Leto as a person. There's a lot of little things about that. One, I would never accept a, a drink um, offered to me by a man that looks like Jared Leto. That's Absolutely never going not. to go well for you. Um, don't ever do it. Um, and, and, like, two, like, the other members of 30 Seconds to Mars, are they just, like, real into this? Because, like... <laughs> like, they have like, to be uh, on the island, They're very much, like, too. Fozzie, I think. Like, they're just... They're, like, they're Fozzie are basically along for the ride with Chris Jericho, where they're like, you know what? Chris Jericho brings the crowds in, and we get to make a lot of money off of this. I think 30 Seconds to Mars are the same way, where they're just like, mm. you know, we're going to ride Jared Lattie's coattails. No, I think you guys are wrong. I think... Uh... A, co- really a, a cult is a cult isn't started by one person. The most important person in the start of a cult is the first person to listen to him. The band are the fault at fault here. The band are the culprits. Okay. They're the reason there's a cult. Yeah. Well, well yeah, yeah, and also the rabbit thirty seconds to Mars fans as well probably don't help the situation either. Oh <laughs> god. Well, I, again, I would yes, I definitely would say that watching this film on your own, or not in the the mindset of watching it with other people who are there to make fun of the film and take it apart and, like, enjoy it in, like, that sort of visceral way is definitely the wrong way to go about it. Like, I went to see it with my dad, and I still enjoyed watching it with my dad because we both got a laugh out of it, but, like, the cinema was much quieter because there was a lot less people and it just wasn't the same energy to the point where, in the cinema that we were in, the audio, like, desynced and became, like, little, uh, sort of robot-y. And not a single person in the cinema got up to go ask someone <laughs> to go fix it. Like nobody felt like, oh, this will hamper my enjoyment. Yeah. Of Everyone said like, this is actually improving the experience somewhat yeah. because it's making it harder to understand the shitty dialogue. 
<laughs> and it was just like it was funny to me because I I seen I had seen the film and understood that this was not how the film was supposed to sound, obviously. <laughs> and I was sort of like, I didn't want to get up because it's like I don't care that much about fixing this film. And I just sort of like looked around, being like, anybody? So, so you know, that, that is a resounding endorsement of the Suicide Squad. Then, but, but, but such was your apathy when watching it that yeah. you were prepared to sit through a clear technical fault rather yeah. than spending five minutes standing up to correct but that's, it. But that's why you need the right people who hate this movie as much as you do going into it and then it turns around and becomes a beautiful bonding moment. You bond through adversity, you know? Okay. Well, I mean, the haters of Suicide Squad Unite, there are millions of us out there, so maybe, <laughs> maybe we can all join hands and convince Warner Brothers to make better movies or maybe make worse <laughs> movies i don't know like may- maybe we want them to make more movies like this um maybe they should fire james gunn um and uh <laughs> I, 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 I will say that the trailer for the new uh suicide squad film does look like a massive improvement on what they were doing before and i unfortunately have been immediately sold on it because in the trailer we see one of my favorite characters from dc starro the giant starfish alien that throws tiny starfishes on people's faces and takes okay. over their minds. Well, that, and... that sounds tonally more like what they tried to edit <laughs> this movie into being. Yeah, so I feel like that will fit. And also, I'm just a big Starro fan, so like, it's not. It's like the moment I seen him in the trailer, I'm like, God damn it! Now I have to see Suicide Squad too, okay. just for Starro. It's like, us. Not a not a character I'm familiar with, but certainly one that I'm interested to see now that you've now that you've brought it up. But you, so, you know it sounds the, like a literal. You know what the Pokemon. crazy thing of about him is is like Starro was the first threat the original Justice League ever faced in the comics. <laughs> I think so. It's absolutely it's absolutely mental. You know, those are the days in comic books when remember when like Spider Man just like beat up bank robbers and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That those are the days, and now it's it's always world ending threats. I just want like a, a dude in a scorpion costume who robs banks that's what i want my superhero movies to be oh, um, i would love scorpion oh he's such yeah. a dumb concept but i love yeah. him yeah like I, I feel like it's a hard sell in the mod in like modern society to get your superheroes kind of supporting the world of big finance uh through through <laughs> through their actions but who knows maybe that's maybe that's like the the the, the next step in in the uh, in the marvel cinematic universe that it's just going to go back to basics um Cool. Okay. Well, that's Suicide Squad. Um, yeah. As I say, I I didn't enjoy it that much, but I think you've made a decent argument for that, Emmett. That's a, well, that, I think that's probably a stay of execution you've earned yourself oh. in in the eyes of 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 this parish, as far as uh, I'm concerned. I live another day. Yeah, you live was... another day. <laughs> live to fight another day. Um, I. No, you know what? I was going to talk briefly about another film, but I'm actually not going to do it because we've, we've we've gone past an hour here. Um, the only thing oh, I will say, I thought you is were going to you... say like, no, your execution is nigh, and you were going to shoot yeah. me there for a second. Uh, I'm real worried. No, I'm Long range to die. Scope. Yeah, like Deadshot in the movie Suicide oh. Squad. Oh, that doesn't fantastic shoot. Fantastic movie. The fantastic best movie yeah. of the year. That great movie. Um, <laughs> The, the only thing I will say about the movie I was thinking about talking about is if you want to see the best Deus Ex Machina of all time where a helicopter just falls through the ceiling for no reason to allow our uh, heroes to escape, watch uh, Lamberto Barva's Demons. 
because that happens in it and it's very funny. Anyway, um, <laughs> so that's yeah, that is a very good movie. It's a, a like that's that was my introduction to movies so bad they're good. Um, and it's very funny because it's made by the the son of legendary Italian horror director Mario Bava, and his son is making movies um, with people riding motorbikes and fighting with samurai swords and with <laughs> with helicopters falling through ceilings. It's 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 a whole thing. We'll do an episode on demons at some point because I love Absolutely. that movie. Um, but I, I think that's going to do it for us here um, on the best movie podcast ever. Um, so it leaves us um, with one simple question to answer, as we always do. And, and uh, Emmett, we're gonna I'm gonna leave you to the end here, um, so you can you can wind up to your response. But Anthony, what's what's your favorite movie this week? Well, this talk about Superman has really got me back in my teenage years, um, back to Smallville, Tom Welling. So, of course, my movie of the week, my favorite movie uh, this week is Cheaper by the Dozen 2. <laughs> <laughs> great movie, a great choice. Emmett, what is your favorite movie? <laughs> I don't, I, well, I, obviously, I cannot talk Cheaper by the Dozen 2. Um <laughs> continuing our theme of films so bad it's good i would recommend the dungeons and dragons uh film which Jeez. is another film that took like 10 to 15 years to finally make and the finished product is a another glorious train wreck where people tried so hard and it just didn't work and maybe we'll talk about that another time if we do another one of the so bad it's good situations. It's new, new, worth... new Dungeons and Dragons coming, just so you know, being filmed in Belfast as we speak. Yeah, no Jeremy Irons or Marlon Wayans in that one, but I'm sure it'll still manage to find a way to to, to be a terrible movie. My favourite movie is, uh, I don't know, Batman Begins. Um, <laughs> join us next week for, uh, we're going to be back to doing movie diaries. No more of this themed episode business for a while. You've had your fill of that. We're going back to talking about um, things that we're watching since the last time we have done one of these. Uh, thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscarian for the use of our theme song. You can find links to their stuff down in the links below. And thank Thank you to you for listening. Please uh, consider subscribing to us. We are the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps and the Culture Cave on YouTube. Um, and we will see you same time, same place next week. And cut. <laughs> <laughs>